0: Welcome to the e commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson, a show that brings you regular interviews, tips, and tools for building your business online.
1: Well, hello, and welcome to the e commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. It's great to see you. Now, whether you are just starting out or whether like me, you're a bit of a dinosaur in the e-commerce world and been around for a while, our goal here is super simple. It's just to help you grow your e-commerce and digital business. Yes, it is. Every week, I get to talk to amazing people from the world of e-commerce and ask them all kinds of amazing questions. Well, I think they're amazing. They're the kind of questions uh, that I think you would ask if you got to sit down with them and have a cup of coffee with them. Do you know what I mean? how do we do this? And how does it help us grow our own online businesses? Because like you, I am an e-commerce entrepreneur. I just want just to want to do what I do better. And I want to learn and I want to grow. I really like digging into their story and learning the principles uh, from them that I can just to help me grow online. So wherever you are on your e-commerce journey, hopefully you get some great value out of this show. And if you do enjoy this episode, I would appreciate it, obviously, uh, if you like, comment, share if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook uh, or subscribe. If you're listening to the audio podcast, wherever you get your audio podcast from, share it out, invite people to the show because it's all good stuff. And this week is no exception. Welcome to, should I say, drumroll please, welcome to season seven. Can you believe we are on season seven already of the e-commerce podcast? We had a slight break over the summer, uh, which let me tell you, was it was supposed, to, if you're like me, you have plans for the summer. And for me, those plans involved rest and relaxation. And they are still to happen. Let me tell you, uh, we had a very busy summer, as you will probably hear throughout the coming shows and the coming episodes. We have sold Jersey Beauty Company. It has been purchased by an amazing company. Uh, they've, they own now the, the Jersey Beauty Company website. They've taken that on. God bless them in what they're doing. They've got some amazing plans. I'm super excited to see what they do with it. But that's the project that took up summer. We're selling part of our our e-commerce trade to another company. So hopefully next week I'll get a little bit of R and R. But all of that aside, we are in season seven. Yes, we are. Season seven. This is episode one of season seven. And on this week's podcast, we talk about the perfect warehouse and how it could save you time, money, and make your life easier. That's right. We are getting into all things to do with warehouse. Now If you are like me, and some of you are and some of you aren't, I get that. It doesn't always sound like the most interesting of topics. But trust me, if you are running an e-commerce business, this is such an important thing to get your head around. Uh, It's such an important part of any e-commerce business. Um, Warehouse automation can be a critical piece to the puzzle, you know, can help save you time, money, make your life easier. And we have learned this the hard way, let me tell you. So I am joined this week and I'm super excited because we have just gone and signed a new lease on a warehouse. So I've got a whole bunch of questions. Uh, We are joined by Justin Smith, who is the senior vice president at Lee Associates to discuss the current state of the warehousing market uh, and understand how better informed decisions make for a strategic warehouse? Yes, we are. So if you're watching on the live stream, like I say, please feel free to throw in your questions and comments. Grab your notebooks, because you're going to want to take notes. Uh, All of the notes from today's show will be available as a free download on our website. Just head on over to ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 70 to download them. Okay, So you'll be able to get all of those for free. We'll put all the links and stuff up at the end of it. But if you're listening and you can make notes, I have my notebook here at the ready with a good blank page there. Uh, I need to get my pen out actually. Here we go. So I've now got my pen. Uh, So if you're like me, I'm an avid note taker. And uh, today will be no exception. So let me introduce to you today's guest, shall I? And then we'll bring them on to the show. Now, Justin Smith, as I said, Senior Vice President with Lee Associates, has guided hundreds Let me say that again, hundreds of CEOs, people like you and me through finding more than 5 million square feet. I've no idea what that is in square meters, by the way, uh, but 5 million square feet uh, of property worth more than $300 million. He's worked with uh, multiple Fortune 500 companies, public companies, large companies, large private companies, and also... Companies like mine that are just starting out or maybe a new sort of venture, as it were. Uh, If there's a way to make industrial real estate trends and logistics fun, he's our guy, right? He's totally the guy to do it. He makes it accessible and all that kind of stuff, which is good because, like I say, it's easy, I think, just to go, oh, it's warehousing. Let's just put that over there. It's not as sexy as the marketing. It's not as sexy as the website, but it is super, super important. Let me tell you, we Can I just tell you a story? When we moved our warehouse to Liverpool from Jersey, uh, we instituted a few simple things in that warehouse. We started saving tens of thousands of pounds, which is $15,000 or something like that, every month just because we were were a bit smarter in how we did the delivery. So you're really going to want to pay attention, right? He's got tons and tons of experience and industry knowledge. He is also... Uh, the author of the new best-selling book, dun, dun, dun. Industrial Intelligence, the Executive's Guide for Making Informed Commercial Real Estate Decisions. Yes. So we've got his book. We've got our notebooks. We're going to dive into all of this uh, in today's episode. So without further ado, let me push this button on my screen here. Justin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me Matt. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Whereabouts in the world are you? Uh sunny southern California. Oh wow. Well, wow. you're almost almost not quite but almost halfway around the world from where we are right now. And the uh the connection seems really good. It's instant, which is I'm always amazed with this and technology how it just all works beautifully. The world keeps moving faster and more in touch. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. So um, you've, you've obviously, uh, you've got some great experience, right? And it says on the back of the book that you've, um, uh, you've helped your clients close more than 500 real estate transactions worth roughly half a billion dollars in consideration. That's That's a lot of experience. Is this something that you've therefore always done, or is that like a week's work of work for you? What's what's involved with that?
0: The last two years feel like a career's worth of work. (laughs) Yeah, with the lockdown. Goodness me. This is true. Yeah, 17 years, so for me, right out of undergrad. So I graduated from the university and started here as the lowest possible assistant role and I've been with Lee and Associates the whole time. So same firm and just slowly have worked my way up. And now I'm fortunate to be building a team and building more resources and capabilities around me and spearheading more of the larger projects. And that's been a blessing to continue to elevate who we work with and the types of assignments
1: we're working on together. Wow. So- 17 years with the same company. Now, this is this, let's talk about that for a little bit, because, you know what, this is not something that we talk about regularly on the on the on the podcast. But I was I was actually before this podcast, I was on another podcast, I was a guest on somebody else's podcast, literally directly before this. And one of the topics that came up was how, if you're of a certain generation, you sort of you'd get a job, and you'd stay in that job for, for a, you know, you'd make a career. Whereas now it, the, the common norm is you're in a job two or three years before moving on. So what, why have you decided to stay 17 years with the same company? I don't know if that's being a dinosaur or because it's <laughs> so great
0: over here. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing because you would think it would be the opposite where everybody, you would have that five-year stint. And I found the firm, the way that it's set up is very similar to a law firm where you can become a partner. And when you're a partner, you have a say in the administration, how the firm is run, on the future hiring and on the staff, and then on how you choose to build your book of business. So I've found the firm itself gives you everything that you need to be successful, but then it stays out of your way where you then have the autonomy to build a book of business and adapt it as time goes by. So if you decide that you want to focus only on e-commerce because that's what's growing, you can pivot and adjust and work on that kind of business solely. Or if your interest lies in life science and laboratories and medicine, you can work with those types of companies. Mm -hmm. So I've found the flexibility uh, is such that you can have the autonomy and the freedom to really work on what excites you and to work on what's growing in the market. Mm. So if you have all that, you don't need to go anywhere as a firm, right? You can really just start thinking about who are the people you want to be working with, and really focusing your time there. And so I'm very grateful to have that freedom and opportunity to be able to then really think of who's out there doing dynamic work and working on exciting projects or products, and then be able to connect with them. So at that point, you really have no reason to
1: leave or to want to transition. That's, I think the key word there that you mentioned is autonomy, isn't it? It's that giving giving yeah. staff autonomy, no, giving them no reason to leave. And I think it's one of the one of the things that uh, I would say we've done well uh, in our own businesses. A lot of the guys with us have been with us a long time. They kind of stay yeah. with us, and I I like what you said there about autonomy because I feel like you can sometimes you 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 want people to come and go. We all know those people, right? But <laughs> but actually, good people, great people, you want them to come and stay. And I think yep. uh, I think that's really interesting in, in what you're saying there. And and actually, if you're listening and you're building a team, there's a lot of wisdom there. And actually, what Justin just said, just in the I know this is nothing to do with warehousing, but I just for me, it's a fascinating thing. Like, how do you build team? How do you get good people to stay? How do you empower them to go and do what you know that they can do, release them into being what they can be? Um, So 17 years down the line, they're still doing great work. Why why would you not do that? Teamwork. How do we keep improving
0: teamwork? And I feel like that's a never ending journey that pays dividends, right? If you Mm. continue to improve on that, that's a it's such a topic that I, I didn't know that I needed to really be focused on on the daily. And as the years have gone by, it's been great to recognize that and to really emphasize that. And it, it's um, yeah, building those capabilities around you, right? That's yeah. the power of the team.
1: Yeah. No, wonderful. Let's, um, let's move tack slightly. I want to just come to your mm. um, book. I'm always intrigued Justin, I'm not going to lie, by people who have the tenacity to sit down and write a book, right? Uh, because it, it, it sounds to me like it's a bit of a labour of love. Do you know what I mean? In terms of you, you, it's not something you're going to do on a Wednesday afternoon. How long did it take you to actually sit down and write this?
0: You know, it's uh, shorter than one might expect. However, editing. Mm. Editing would be 10 times what you would expect. (laughs) Okay. So writing, the journey is so great. I worked with a company called Scribe Media and Tucker Mm -hmm. Max. And I feel like where you start after you've framed out your avatar and your concepts is stream of consciousness which is interesting because you would think that's the last thing you want in a book because you want to refine it and have Mm -hmm. it really be only the most valuable components. But the stream of consciousness is what can get it out of your brain. And so I found that is the best part. And that's three months for me anyways, for this topic. And uh, that was more or less an hour of the day, every day, like going to the gym. Right Or you know, running on the streets or on the treadmill or riding your bike, so that was my new gym for three months, and then uh, working with a publisher that has an editing team, an editor is paramount to your success, mm-hmm. but you can't take stream of consciousness and then shift gears to editing, right? You really have to refine it yourself before it's ready for the eyes of an editor where they then know what it is you're trying to articulate. So that part probably was another three or four months. And then uh, design, publishing, all the nuts and bolts of what color paper, Mm -hmm. what size book? Are you going hardback or paperback? Are you going to do audible? Mm. If you're going to do an audio book, who's going to read it? How does my voice sound? How confident am I in, you know, my reading abilities. I'm not an actor. Uh, However, people who hire me expect to have me being the the person that's overseeing their work or who's executing their work. So then you would think you would want to read your book if you're doing the audio book. So all of those were the third part of the journey of the publishing. So I, I found it was probably 14 months from inception mm-hmm. and kicking off the project to when it was live on shelves available for wow. everybody everywhere. Wow. So, labor of love, I would say, is a nice, nice way to describe the long slog that it can sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. feel like. But it's your uh, business, it's your journey, it's your experience. So, yeah. having an opportunity to connect your History and all the lessons that you've learned, and to be able to share them, is uh, that part's wonderful because it is somewhat of a walk down memory lane as you're thinking through how you learned that something is important for people.
1: Yeah, no, that's wonderful. That's, I, I always admire people that 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 have actually gone through it, having having been down that road several times myself. I appreciate the the level of commitment it takes to actually create and write a book. But what? What prompted you to kind of go, you know what, I, I want to write a book about, um, uh, in, uh, it's called Industry and Intelligence, the Executive Guides for Making Informed Commercial Real Estate Decisions. What, what prompted you to do that?
0: It, it, yeah, writing a book is a lot like going to law school. You don't really suggest it to people and expect them to take you up on your advice. <laughs>
1: but it. That's a good analogy. I like that. If
0: they choose to do that under their own volition, you can then go ahead and congratulate them and then give them some tips and some heads up for things Mm. to look for. Um, Being in the same business for 17 years and being responsible for generating business opportunities every day and every quarter, you contumely are Constantly brainstorming what are the best ideas I have, and where is the market? Where are people consuming content, and where are they going to learn? So, uh, for me, I've been uh, humbled to be in Strategic Coach, which is an entrepreneurial coaching program. Mm -hmm. They're throughout the States, they're in the UK, and uh, it's such a fantastic mastermind type of group that continues to give you new frameworks for how you think about business in general. And so it could be e-commerce, it could be real estate, it could be any type of business. And uh, I just got on a kick talking with some people in my group about book writing and some of their experiences. And that was just as I started to learn more about this scribe media that I worked with. Mm. And I feel like there was just a moment where the stars aligned between my experience and my maturity in the business and self-publishing and that business maturing where it's now no longer just publishing a pdf on you know on your website or feeling like you're putting out content that's not highly refined i feel like publishing has now reached a spot in the market where you can now do that in a very professional manner and have it be very accessible mm. so all of those came together at the right time and uh, I'm no stranger to commitment, so I, I'll get it on the list. I'll stew on it for a little while, and if it if it continues to be a great idea, and I can find the right team to work with, mm-hmm. that was one that just in January last year got to the top of the list where I said, "Okay, let's devote the time and the resources, and let's make a go of it." And what's great is you don't end up with just a book; you end up with opportunities to create new ways to either teach firms or teach people or teach clients and to create new avenues for them in the way that they like to learn so if that's audio or video or in other content pieces it's really kicked off an avalanche of additional opportunities to connect with people that you know that, that you don't think about that when you're sitting down at your desk and you start punching the keys and you start racking your mind mm-hmm. of what would be valuable for people so I'm very Uh, grateful that there's so much opportunity in there that you, you know, you're rewarded beyond just you and your work, but I feel like committing to the work itself. That's, I mean, that's the joy to focus your mind on what you know and what you find valuable, let people find valuable that you can share. Mm. So uh, it's been a great opportunity.
1: So what's been the most, um, I mean, you've obviously written that content. Uh, with a specific avatar in mind, which I, I think is 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 fan- fascinating and, and brilliant all in its own right. But um, out of all the content that you've put in that book, obviously, people have re- read it, they've fed back to you and stuff like that. What's been the most surprising feedback maybe that you've you've had as a result of doing the book?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, I wrote it for the avatar, right? And the avatar is Someone not too different from you, Matt. So uh my avatar was a specific client, John, who works at a global company. He runs a laboratory and he's responsible for uh, raw materials, mm-hmm. for products being manufactured, for the distribution to their client, and for operating all things in his business, like mm-hmm. uh, the people, the employees, the legal financing. And he's a very smart guy, very capable. He can do what we do, Mm -hmm. but he's got a big team. He's got a lot of responsibilities and he needs to have someone that can really take charge of a project for him when it comes to the warehouse part. So that part I knew that's who I wrote it for. But what I was surprised to see is all of the associates that are the junior people in firms like mine and all the global companies that are looking to learn their craft. Mm-hmm. And so I you know I didn't write it for them they are not the avatar and the second one along that same vein is uh investors wall street all of these types of landlords that now recognize because of, of e-commerce's growth buying industrial property is now one of the sexiest asset classes yeah. that are out there.
1: Yeah.
0: And so if you have raised hundreds of millions to billions of dollars, and you're looking to invest in industrial, you're probably hiring a lot of associates and analysts, and they need to learn the business too. So I've had a lot of those types of managing partners say, hey, I'd like to share this with all my analysts and all my underwriters as they learn the business and they understand who the customer is and what is important to the customer. So those were all things that were came to me that were a bit surprising and in hindsight, maybe predictable, but because that's not, you know, who I had in mind that I'm directly helping. It Mm. was a little bit of a surprise once I heard one and two and five and 10 and people coming back and having that resonate with them and be an additional way that it can help
1: people that was uh, uh, somewhat unforeseen. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the things that I I, I, I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but I, I've certainly recommended it to a fair few people is actually that they write a book um, that chronicles the story of their business, especially if their business is, is like an authentic business or values led business, or there's something in there um, in your story, which could really resonate with your customer and putting it in a book um, uh, actually is a great, and you can distribute the book for free. Do you know what I mean? To your customers. And, 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 and putting it in a book, I think, is a really interesting idea for a lot of e-commerce business owners. So I appreciate your insight, Justin, uh, you know, on the whole book thing. And um, uh, I think probably one day I should do an episode on, on actually how to write a book. But no, no never mind. Let's let, let's get into the whole warehousing thing, um, because that's what we're here to talk about. So, yeah. Um, let, I guess let's put ourselves in a, in a bit of a scenario. So the kind of stuff that you do, we, we mentioned at the start of the show, you know, you, you can, you, what was the phrase you used? You're a seven out of 10 in terms of that the, the, the general sort of how to do stuff better in, in, in warehousing, but a 10 out of 10 in terms of location and, and all that sort of stuff. So what yep. specifically do you do on a day-to-day basis? What, what sort of projects do you do?
0: Yeah, a great example that would be closest to what I would perceive the people listening uh, are experiencing is having an a entrepreneur that has a product that they've developed and are having manufactured somewhere. And they're trying to figure out distribution, right? So at the very beginning, you may sell online and having your product distributed through a third-party logistics company, mm-hmm. or Amazon Fulfillment, right? That would be uh, the most common way I would think most people would start. And what I have found is that the next step for a lot of folks is going into what we have is co-working. And so co-working, most people think of we work, right? In uh, your yeah. office and my yeah. office, we're on yeah. the same floor, but you know, we share the same break room and we have meeting rooms. What I have found is in the last five years, that concept Has taken hold in warehousing so that some companies will take down hundreds of thousands of square feet and then they'll chop up the inside of the building so that smaller e commerce companies can store their product on a short term basis and can have a flexible size that can grow or contract Mm -hmm. as the business grows and contracts, as you find success with your product or you shift to a new product. And that's uh, very much a stepping stone where you can get out of having an external third-party logistics company fulfill all your distribution, and Mm. you can take charge of that and start to build that capability within your own company. And so that's oftentimes the first step. And people that I will work with are people who have taken that step. They're in that kind of space. And now they recognize. There's a premium for that space. That is a business in and of itself, just like third-party logistics is a business in and of itself. I got to get out of here. I'm paying too much. I've got all these neighbors. They're in my space. I can't do everything that I need to do. And then that's when they find me or I find them. And we start to envision what it's going to look like when the business owner has their own space that they don't share with anybody, and then they're responsible for all of their own uh, inventory, for all of their own employees, security, legal, and just kind of as uh, you pick up the different component pieces of the business and start to build that in-house. So that would be the very most entry-level person we would work with. Mm -hmm. And I would say the most typical is the small and medium-sized business that has taken that step they have their own team, their products successful, and they're growing. And now mm. they're trying to figure out, do I go from one building to two? Do I go from a small building to a big building? Do I stay in one area? Or do I start to fulfill from multiple different ports mm. and different uh, air cargo, depending on what your product is, different airports? And then... Uh, do I handle all of this myself? Or do I now have an operations guy that handles all this for me while I'm off discovering the next product or the next team or the next acquisition? So i found that's probably the most prevalent is a small business owner that's already grown out of having uh, Amazon fulfilled. They've already grown into having their own space. And then now the responsibility is firmly on their shoulders. (laughs) They carry everything, yeah, yeah yeah now it's time to figure out, okay, we're growing how do we grow? where do we grow? who do we grow with and uh, that's when the fun starts because you can then envision the future of the company and you can you have a team, whether it's a small motley crew or whether you know it's fifty people, and then you can really start to get other opinions and other expertise mm-hmm. about people that are great with shipping or they really understand material handling or they really know what the company's culture is and then can all work together to make sure that the next space we get fits not just the iphone that we're selling but fits the whole formula and so yeah. that's where it starts becoming more fun because you can start take a more team approach and you can start realizing that a lot of people within your company can benefit by the different building
1: that you get as you're growing the company. So if I'm, I, 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 and I ask this actually, because it's relevant to me in the sense that, as I said, we've we've just signed a new lease on a warehouse. And um, we do fulfillment obviously for our own e-commerce businesses, but we actually do fulfillment for other e-commerce businesses. So, you know, the first okay. type that you talked about where they're starting to grow, and they want to outsource their fulfillment. So we do that a little bit. We do really well actually with um small products. I don't ship out sofas or anything like that. That's that's not my bag. But if it's small, uh, like a beauty cream or something like that, we're we're really good at doing that kind of stuff. So um and that yeah. was something actually I never intended to get into. It's just because we were already doing it, people came to us and said, listen, can you send our stuff out as well? Because it, you know, the whole logistics thing scared them. So we've just yep. gone and signed a new lease on a new warehouse. We're going to um a uh, bigger premises. Um, and it, what fascinates me is listening to you talk. Is I can identify with all the the three stages that you you know you talked about. And you've got the guy starting out with third party logistics you know, to the guy that's actually now everything is his. He's taking the warehouse, and it starts to be a bit more fun. What are some of the key questions that you think that guy needs to be asking? himself like he's taken on this warehouse he's taken the whole enchilada on for himself what are some of the key questions that need to be asked in that
0: yeah i I usually start with time right time is such a big component piece of all of this and so time is how much time do we have before our contract is up wherever we are and that could be Days or weeks, if you're scrambling and have a mad dash, it's usually months. Uh, If you have the visibility, it's a year to a year and a half. And then time is also how stable is your business? How far out in the future can Mm -hmm. you plan for? And how much time can you commit to the next space? And if that's months, or years, or forever, right? Like uh, like you purchasing the property, right? That's uh, different for everybody. And as the business matures, usually you get longer time horizons and more clarity and more ability to predict and to forecast. But I found that time is such a challenge because there's some rigidity in how long people will give you space for where co-working, you can do that month to month. Small space for 100 pallets, you can do for a year. Space for thousands of pallets and tens of thousands of pallets, right? That's for five years or maybe even 10 years. Yep. So can you imagine committing to 10 years on some huge building, right? You better be pretty confident in your plan or you are are running a very robust business where you know you can continue to need that or to use that. So I start with time. That's such a big thing. And usually when you start with time looking back and looking forward, that usually will set the stage that will help us all understand kind of what what we're working with in time horizon-wise. And that that's usually uh, my first question. And after that, I go to people. And people is just, is it just Matt? Or is Matt have a that is uh, also a part of this arrangement? Or is Matt the CEO and CFO? Or do we have anybody else? Do we have mm. investors that need to have a say in all of this? Do we have any strategic partners, sister companies, corporate offices? Do we have any debt like uh, uh, agreements or facilities that are maturing soon that may play a role in how we fuel the purchase of equipment, or of inventory, or of another business that might consolidate into the next building. So between time and team, right, those are the, uh, the two. And once we've talked through that, that's uh, uh, usually 90% of the conversation to just get oriented. Of course, you've got to talk about finances and what you think you can afford. And what the market is telling you, you need to afford to do what it is you think you're trying to accomplish. And uh, between those three, then I feel like we can get real very quickly of knowing like these are viable options. And if we choose this, that is what this will look like, right? And you can start playing out scenarios and kind of trying on the hat to see does it fit? How do you feel about that? And uh, that usually is very illustrative for the executive to then say, okay, my vision can, I can envision now what this will look like, what it will cost me, and how my team around me can help guide me through this. Mm-hmm. I feel good, or I feel i feel like uh, a resource, or I feel like that's a stretch, or I feel like that's over committing. I would say those are the first few items that we'll walk through in an introduction that are enlightening and
1: kind of help set the tone. Okay. So if I'm, um, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I'm getting a new, uh, the lease on our current building was expiring and I thought it's just going to be good to move. And so uh, we, you know, we're moving in about three months time. And I think, I I think our timeframe was probably about um four months once we'd found the building to get it sorted out, but it we were we were looking for six months, you know we were we were about a year out so if i'm if I'm sitting listening to the podcast thinking um yeah I, I, it's interesting what you're saying what what is an ideal to i know you you're gonna have people that actually need a space next week, right because it just it is what it is. but if you were yeah. to say actually, if you can be a bit more proactive, ideally you could do with this much time on average, what, what sort of time frame should people try and have in mind if they're thinking about this stuff ahead of time?
0: Yeah, I would love to have one number. And so I, I would Me say too. six months, <laughs> yeah, six months, half a year to a year and a half is the sweet spot. Okay. And just Getting in your car with someone like me and looking at buildings, right? That can happen in a day, right? But it's a there's so many things that are part of the process where you don't necessarily need to look at buildings a year out. But a year out, you may want to double check when your contract expires. A year out, you may want to think, what's the lead time on those machines that I'm going to buy? that I'm gonna grow the business with. Mm-hmm. What's the lead times on the furniture? Furniture, surprisingly, can take a long time, uh, six to nine months, sometimes longer. And then the real kicker is construction. So are we gonna find a building that's just perfect and we're gonna walk in, we're gonna open the door, turn on the lights, and just money's gonna be raining down from the sky <laughs> as pallets are flying out the back of the building. Right, that's uh, 20% of the time, I would say. So the other 80% of the time, we've got general contractors, bids, architects, construction drawings, permits, then the construction, inspections, and then you can move in. Mm -hmm. So I found uh, construction's the big kicker of with a small space, you may not need construction. With co-working space, you won't need construction. But once you get out of the first building you have where it's you on your own, and you're going to building number two, three, or four, there's a pretty good chance you're going to need construction. And if Mm -hmm. you are, that's uh, oftentimes three to six months. And that's when your year starts to tick by a little faster and faster where, okay, Got it. This is where we're at in our size. We think we will need to do some construction where we move. Okay. Have I double checked my contract? And then you start to lay out like, okay, a year I feel confident that I can achieve what I'm trying to achieve and know that I can build it how I like it so that I can envision walking in and it's my colors and the environment that I'm giving to my customers and my employees are how I want it to be. And my flow has been set up where I know where all my materials are, and I about that, and I've I put in equipment that I need in there and automation. And so, um, yeah, I'd say a year is like your average number that is the mm. ideal amount of time.
1: Yeah. no, that's great. I I can. I mean, my experience here is, I think we probably started. We didn't give ourselves a year, but I'd say it's it's probably been a good seven or eight months and that time has flown by really quickly. I mean, really quickly to to get it all sorted out. And part of the reason for that, Justin, is because actually finding good space, certainly in the UK, certainly in Liverpool, which is where we're based, was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's been six years since we moved warehouse um, and it seems now the market is very different Uh, to what it was six years ago, certainly on industrial space suitable for e-commerce businesses. Is that something that you've noticed generally yourself in the States, or is that just a little quirk for us here in Liverpool?
0: Yeah, at first you would think it's a quirk, right? We're on an island, we're running out of land, right? We're going to need to build, and people don't want to build in their neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. Construction and projects but that's a global phenomenon right now for the industrial inventory to be tight. And the general background to that is e-commerce, right? So if you think this e-commerce isn't a phenomenon for people who are in the business, right? You've been Mm -hmm. in e-commerce for a while. This This hasn't surprised you. But with the last two years, that's accelerated the amount of people that are shopping online Mm -hmm. and for every person that shifts to online shopping that's a piece of inventory that's not in your shopping mall that is now in your warehouse Mm -hmm. so if in the last two years we just took every pair of shoes that you were going to buy off the shelf and put them in a warehouse Right. It's not a, a hundred percent that way. It's not like we don't have stores anymore, but that's been the shift. And so that shift is widespread. It's in every market and uh, every major market you're finding available property is uh, not only single digits, it's like one, two, three percent of the hundred percent that is in the built environment. Yeah. And the bellwether for whether it was a a tight market or whether it was softening used to be 10% available. And then it became 5% available. And now it's like three or 4% where if it becomes greater than that, all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat, we're getting free rent. We're asking for discounts on the rent We're making our commitment shorter. And, uh, That just we've it's been so long into the landlord's market where you're just happy to be there having a space that you can call your own. And so, what I have found is it's changed some of the tactics that we have to employ to then locate space that doesn't exist. So, you just swim up the stream a little bit further where you're contacting landlords about property that's full and that's already committed, and you're almost searching for inventory as soon as companies are moving on to their next one. You want to immediately know about that one that's coming available if you really want to serve your customer and uh, find those spaces. So I found that to be something that has been a shift in our tactics and just in the experience of people finding space And uh, the last thing you want to be doing is feeling like it's a mad dash where if you find something good, you got to get your hands on it and you don't let it go. And you really like have to act in the moment, right? You Mm -hmm. want time to think and to discuss and to contemplate and to negotiate. And I've just found um, that hasn't gone away, but it's just compressed all those timelines and it's compressed the decision making where... You've got to have put the thought into it so that when you're out there and you're looking, mm. you know that you have the confidence you need to say, yes, that can work for me, I'll take it. And that's, yeah. uh, that's a big commitment to go shopping you know, and be ready to buy right there on the spot. So uh, the more you have crystallized your plan in your mind and discussed yeah. it with your team in advance, then you've it's kind better. of
1: armed yourself to go shopping that's such wise advice because i was it got to the point where we'd seen a few places we were like well should we just take that because it's available but actually that wasn't it wasn't great do you mean it 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 would have been serviceable but it wasn't great unfortunately for us you know i I, thank god we we've actually found a space which i think is much better for us as a business but i think when it's scarce supply like it is at the moment you you know you you can especially with I'm grateful we also had a bit of time to figure it out because we could have quite easily been in a rush and just accepted anything, which is, you know, again, coming back to your taking the year type thing. I'm yeah. almost thinking as well, Justin, I'm not going to lie. As you're talking, I'm thinking there is a business to be had, which goes and buys up large industrial warehouse spaces uh and breaks them down into smaller units um, for the yeah. the, the, the e-commerce uh businesses. Do you know what I mean? And, um, I'm almost wondering whether, to, whether I should contact a few investment portfolios and start getting involved in that, because I think as e-commerce is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, bigger and these spaces are going to become more and more and more uh, needed. I don't know if this is your expectation, but it, as we're talking, it's certainly the way I see it going.
0: Without a doubt. And so uh, I feel like we're at the infancy of that, where the concept, like we are aware that there's a need in that market. And there are people who are helping satiate that need. But so far, it seems like all of those spaces are being gobbled up. They're being completely full. Mm-hmm. And now you're just starting to see differentiation. Where can I do that better than they can do that? Yeah. And why would someone choose yours over another's? And it's interesting to think of you're trying to get away from uh, fully outsourcing your distribution. And so if you're coping, you're kind of insourcing and outsourcing some parts of it. So, Do you want someone moving your product or do you want to be moving it? Do you want someone storing your product or do you want to be storing it? Do you want your people at that office or is this just for the fulfillment of your goods? Mm. And so I find that's where some of the differentiations coming around of what do you think e-commerce entrepreneurs need and value and want to pay for? Or what are the parts they don't like doing, right? Yeah. What part isn't is adding value to that business? And can you provide that? Mm. And that's uh, interesting to see that's uh, on the cusp and uh, people that are it I mean, uh, generally, we've been seeing them just kind of continue to grow and on upward trajectories. I feel like... Uh,
1: Hop on in. The water's warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the water's warm. It's a so good time. What, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you? If you were to, you know, look into your crystal ball and look sort of five years into the future, what do you see happening in this sort of space? You know, if I'm, if I'm sat there going, you know what? I, I'm happy with my third party logistics at the moment. I'm a small guy. I'm selling on Amazon or whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, yeah. But the business is going to, you know, some of these businesses will grow. What do I need to start thinking about? And, and and also for people like me that have been around a while, what do I need to start thinking about for five years in the future?
0: Yeah, it's a, such a fast-paced environment, right? So I feel like the things that are on the horizon uh, with warehouse automation, right, that's becoming more mainstream. And what it, what component pieces within your warehouse can you upgrade or invest in that will increase throughput so that you can move more products faster within the same four walls. Mm -hmm. I find that's the question everybody's trying to answer. And part of that is coming from quicker delivery times and expectation that you can meet shorter deadlines from when someone buys your product to when it shows up on their door. And so, yeah, having a keen eye to... Your processes and which parts can be automated, where you can invest. I think over the next five years, that's a big component piece that uh, people like yourself and people that are running these businesses mm-hmm. can look at to continue to invest in the business. I'd say that's that's the biggest part right now. And uh, logistics-wise, right, trucking—we're not into like autonomous trucks and autonomous delivery, and right—that's a. Uh, that's the pie in the sky we'd all love to see. Or maybe uh, many I would like I would, to but see I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, someday, right? But that's not a here and now. That's not mm. five years. Well, otherwise, I would just think ownership. Yeah. And uh, w- what could it take to get your hands on a building as an entrepreneur where you could have it for your business? And then much like you are doing some fulfillment for companies now, You know, can you have extra space where you could grow that in a building that you own and Mm. and that you could buy and sell companies as time goes by and continue to maintain ownership of the building and have that be a property investment? And so that's uh, depending on your time horizon and the amount of capital you have available to invest. I'd say uh, in a five-year horizon, everybody comes down on those different pieces in a different area but thinking about ownership and just how you can improve within your four walls and what you can automate i find that's a uh, that has already happened in all of the fulfillment center and it's slowly becoming more affordable for smaller applications yeah. coming downstream a little bit that's
1: really interesting. That's really interesting. One of the questions I have uh, that has been sent in just in because we 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 send out notes to say this is what we talk about. One of the questions that came in said, "How do I?" So I've got the warehouse. How do I set up a great e-commerce warehouse? What what are some of the things that I need to think about? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier just a few minutes ago about getting stuff out the door quicker and faster in terms of equipment. But what else uh, should I be thinking about?
0: Yeah. My first call is to a material handling person. And and so that's the person that specializes in racking, Mm -hmm. forklifts, and just the general flow of goods. And I found that is someone that you have to have. And when you have that person, you can continue to grow with them. And what they will do is look and set up people's operations all over town right and so they'll see what people are doing that's working and mm-hmm. what isn't they'll see the the shape of the space that you have and the height and then the sprinklers that you have which surprisingly sprinkler sprinklers are a big deal yeah and they'll see how much space you have for your trucks and they can design that flow and so starting with the size of the product right you you find if you're selling um tubes of toothpaste Or if you're selling motorcycles, right, you're going to have a dramatically different setup. And Mm -hmm. so I have clients that do both. And so are you taking in pallets of product and breaking them down and shipping them individually? Are you taking containers of product and then sending out individual pallets to different locations? Or are you... Uh, distributing big items that are like this uh, motorcycles, mm. where uh, they come on their own individual pallet that may or may not be able to be racked high. So I always start back with what's the product mix. And then your material handling specialists will be able to help you think through, okay, with that size product, and this amount of volume, daily volume, monthly volume, how do we optimize? And I find that's uh that's where we start. Yeah,
1: that, that's critical. I mean, uh, just, you know, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking about what does all that mean? It means that when you have a warehouse, things like um, you, your most popular goods, for example, you, you have those on a shelf near where the guys are picking and packing so they don't have to walk as far to, to collect them. Um, yeah. And, you you know, it's just making these subtle changes, isn't it, in your warehouse that that improves efficiency and it, as you say, gets goods out the door quicker and easier, you know? Do you scan orders? Is everything barcoded and, and so on and so forth? Um, a lot of really interesting questions around this. My last question for you, Justin, if I may, right? Uh, yeah. We um, are enjoying the conversation and, and, and I, this is slightly off field uh, from what we've been talking about already. So what we're based in the UK, okay? And one of our companies, we uh, supply... Um, uh, food supplements, vegan and vegetarian certified food supplements, so things like omega three, multivitamins, and so on and so forth. And it is a great business, very niche. Um, you know, we've got a phenomenal product. I, I love what we do, and it's great. A huge chunk of our, exp- a huge chunk of our sales are exports to the states, right? To the point where we are now looking at these figures, and we're going. Would it make sense for us to distribute in the US rather than distribute to the US from the UK? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do. A bit, so there's a lot of questions that we're thinking about in our in our heads about how do we do that. I guess my question to you is not should I do that um, because I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't want to wish that on you with the very limited information that I've given you. Uh, but if I was going to yeah. do that. Um, if I was going to look to distribute, whereabouts in the States would be a good place for general distribution from? Are there better places in the States to sort of look at, or do you do that, put one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast kind of thing? What, what do I think about that? Yeah, the term for that is the supply chain network,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So your network would be your locations. And so I would start with where is the product coming from? So are we making these in Liverpool? Are we making them near Shanghai, right? Are we making them somewhere else? Are Mm -hmm. we making them in Mexico, right? Uh, And based on uh, where they are manufactured, then you can start to think that's one end. Where's the customer? So I Mm -hmm. think what you're saying is the customers in the States, right? Yeah. So uh, whereabouts in the States, right? So I'm assuming this is more of an affluent product, when yeah. you think of who your customer is and so where are all the main centers of affluence in the states and then uh, after that i generally would start with a uh, third-party logistics company is usually where most people as they're testing this new distribution model they'll mm-hmm. start with others that already have the infrastructure set up and that can already handle your orders and can already help you model where you need to be and so Starting with where it's manufactured will tell you if you're coming in from the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles because it's coming from China. Or if it's coming from Liverpool, you're probably going through New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And, uh, uh, and then if you're going to have where your customers are, which is your end point, right? You may end up in the center of the country and you can go within two days to either side. So I think that's uh, how people will generally start to think about it. Mm -hmm. And then what you can do is leverage this third-party logistics company and their supply chain and their modeling and their IT and their infrastructure to start running tests. And granted, this will be a higher cost, right? Because you're paying for this third-party logistics, but Mm -hmm. that will give you an opportunity with uh, less risk to try out how your volumes will change once you start distributing there, and as you gain more success and more growth. So, that's how I generally would think about the problem uh, mm. before even contemplating like a specific city or a specific state. I think uh, if we started with that and we talked with a couple third party logistics, that would be, uh, we would get very smart very quickly on what some of our options are. Mm -hmm. And then, if we want to understand running it ourselves, then we would have a
1: baseline to measure from. Yeah, that's very, very sage advice. Uh, I may have more questions about this uh, for you, uh, but not in the uh, podcast because we'll be here for the next four hours. Anyway, uh, Justin, listen, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Um, If people listening to the podcast want to get in touch with you, reach out to you, connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, LinkedIn's great. Yeah, Justin Smith, Lee and & Associates, and you can find me and uh, my firm contact information. And yeah, that's
1: uh, that's easiest for everybody. Okay, so LinkedIn. We'll put a link to uh, your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. So that'll be in there, no doubt. Uh, Justin, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Do you have any parting words of wisdom that you want to share uh, before we before we close out?
0: Just gratitude. I appreciate you having me and I'm sure it helps a lot of people to hear some advice from you and your experience. So I appreciate you sharing it with everyone. Oh, you're a
1: legend. Thanks, Justin. I uh, really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, oh, hang on. There we go. That's better. <laughs> My mouse is not working. Um, so uh, big, big thanks and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom and um, to make sure you do grab Justin's book. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Wasn't Justin fantastic? Uh, I I don't know about you, but I I felt like I was just getting warmed up in that conversation. But I've also got one eye on the clock and I want to be respectful of everybody's time, including Justin's, uh, especially Justin's, to be fair. Uh, But as I said, do make sure uh, if you are sort of where I am on your on the e-commerce journey, or you see you're going to be getting there soon, make sure you do grab a hold of um, Justin's book, the uh, Industrial Intelligence book. It is well worth a read, let me tell you. And it's I, I appreciate that Justin is living in California, but I found this book incredibly helpful, and I live in Liverpool, the UK, right? So some of the things translate, some of them don't, but the principles, brilliant. So make sure you do get a copy of that book. Um, I believe you can find it where all good books are sold. Uh, I got this one off Amazon, so do check it out um, and make sure you get a hold of that. And also connect with him directly. I guess if you've got any questions, he'll be more than happy to help you and steer you and point you in the right direction is such a cool guy. So connect with him on LinkedIn. As I said, all of the links to uh, everything to the book to uh, Justin's LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes. You can get those by heading over to ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 70. Um, and you'll you'll get that. I love it. I love talking to people like Justin because you always find something really helpful in what they're talking about and what they say. I, I especially I'm buzzing now with the idea of should we go and get some investors and buy some warehouses and turn them into e-commerce distribution centers? I don't know. Watch this space. It has triggered something in my head. Uh, but what about you? What did you really enjoy? Do let us know uh, what you got out of this. Um, and obviously uh, do uh, share it on uh on the social media channels and all that sort of good stuff. Give us a rating on iTunes if you're about, you know, listening to the podcast. It just helps us connect with more folks around the world. So really would appreciate you doing that. Um, All that's left for me to say is thanks for listening. Make sure you come back next week as we get to interview some more great guests on how to grow our own online business. Uh, I think that is it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic week. Bye for now.
0: You've been listening to the e-commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson. Join us next time for more interviews, tips, and tools for building your business online.